I think she was courage epitomized or courage personified. Mm. Mama, as I said, I continue to say she was fearless. She was courageous. She was a gallant, iconic, you know, leader. Mm. Uh, she, she did. She, she was there when, as I said, at the time when apartheid uh, made sure that organizations were banned. She was there at the time when leadership was in exile. She was there when at the time the media was gagged. She was there at the time when there were death squads and the disappearance of mm. comrades. Mm. People were thrown out of moving trains. Mm. The Stratcos and the Third Force, mm. she was there. And that was Mozaki Mbuli, the people's poet of South Africa, on Nomzano Winifred Madikizela, Mama Winnie, mother of the nation, Winnie Mandela. The ink has spilled and will continue to spill freely on the controversies of her life. Tonight, I will focus on the controversy that underpinned her life, the controversy of apartheid, a system of constitutionally enshrined white supremacy that destroyed and obliterated the lives of countless millions of South Africans, that left so many permanently scarred and traumatized. Was Winnie Mandela one of those? Damn right she was. By all accounts, she was broken in all kinds of ways, because she put herself on the front lines of the struggle against that system and paid for it heavily. Tonight, we take a look at that story, the story of the woman who did not go into exile, who stayed back, who fought, who challenged the system, who lived through the horrors of torture, detention, bannings, house arrests, endless, but I mean endless and relentless harassment by security forces who referred to herself as the most unmarried married woman when her husband, Nelson, disappeared into the decades of darkness on Robben Island, who defied her banishment and returned to Soweto to be at the side of students on what would be a fateful turning point in the history of South Africa, the Soweto Uprising. Tonight, we will mostly leave the telling of Winnie Mandela's story to Winnie herself. In 1977, in an effort to halt Winnie Mandela's galvanizing political influence in Soweto, police wrenched her from her home in Soweto and shipped her 400 kilometers to the dusty backwater of Branfort in the Free State, where she would remain in exile for some 10 years, isolated and monitored by the apartheid state. Here is Winnie on her banishment to Branfort and her forced separation from her children. Those were very difficult times. Perhaps one a person like myself would single out the banishment uh, to Brantford, the separation uh, with my children, and what the security branch did almost every time my children were coming back from boarding school. By the way, I had to place them in boarding schools at a very early age because of the problem of spending a lot of time in prison. I was arrested, I was in and out of prison almost every month, if not every week. And the consequence of that was the children were always left alone. So I had to fund them out to boarding schools at an extremely tender age. They were ironically in a school uh, called um, Our Lady of Sorrows in Swaziland. Mm. Mm. I had to find them a place there. Um, when they were not at Our Lady of Sorrows, my white mother, uh, Helen Joseph, used her to take the children whenever I got arrested and they were back from school and they found me in prison. So um, 
those, those were perhaps the cruelest moments which have left an indelible mark uh, in my heart. In 1969, years before her banishment to Branford, Winnie Mandela spent 491 days in solitary confinement at Pretoria Central Prison. She later told the Times that this experience radicalized her to violence as a means of political change. If I did not believe, if I was not a Christian, I don't think I would have survived uh, um, that period of my life. The 18 months in solitary confinement was the third worst aspect of my life that was very difficult to, to live with and it left scars. Nothing can heal. Um, I was detained uh, at the central prison, the female section, uh, the day they came to, to get me, as they always did, that one was the most painful of all the imprisonment I had suffered. My crying, Mommy, don't go. Mommy, don't go. Um, and the police were so ruthless. There must have been about... Uh, uh, 30 to 40 police who came to arrest me. This was, uh, this was at 3 a.m. in the morning. And uh, the usual thing was you heard bangs all over the doors. They were kicking the doors. They kicked in the windows. And that noise alone still lives with me to this day. And the, the degree of anger with which uh, one was arrested was beyond belief. Upon learning of her release, her husband Nelson wrote from Robben Island. She, he wrote this to her. I had to wait two weeks before I could send you my warmest congratulations for serving 491 and still emerge the lively girl you are and in high spirits. To you and your determined friends, I say welcome back. Were I at home when you returned, I should have stolen a white goat from a rich man, slaughtered it, and given you the traditional beer and sour milk to down it. Only in this way can a beggar like myself fet and honor his heroes. Whitney wrote back, In a way, during the past two years, I felt so close to you. It was the first time we were together in similar surroundings for that length of time. Eating what you were eating and sleeping on what you sleep on gave me that psychological satisfaction of being with you. Winnie Mandela published the journal she kept during that period entitled 491 Days Prisoner, number 1323-69. So much of Winnie Mandela's life was spent enduring state harassment. Here she talks about her experiences of police interrogation and torture and reminds us that she was not the only one, that she was surrounded by many women revolutionaries in South Africa who suffered similar fates but have largely been forgotten. Our particular interrogation, I was part of uh, 22 of us who, who, were, who were detained. By the way, you have no idea whatsoever 
who else is detained. I thought I was alone in prison. And uh, when they came to fetch me from the cell, I knew that I either had to survive fighting or I had to surrender. There were only two options. And in my particular case, I was picked up this day on a Monday. I had been in detention for almost a month then. I was taken to the headquarters of interrogation. It was called a compound. Uh, that is where people lost their lives. On the first day of my interrogation, you are sitting alone on the chair. You are with these uh, interrogating officers. There were about 10 of them in my case. Uh, some behind, others in front, on the sides. Firstly, the first uh, week in prison, uh, you, you can't you can't swallow, it, it becomes difficult to even swallow a glass of water. You just develop uh, this bitter bitterness in your mouth and you lose your person. You, you just become an object that belongs to them. So when they took me to the cell uh, for, for interrogation to the police headquarters, then they started interrogation. I was interrogated uh, for seven days and seven nights, non-stop, not what they subsequently did later on when they would take a detainee back to the cells and bring the detainee back. I was interrogated continuously for seven days and seven nights, and um, the, what was relieving at, at the time, the body has a way of, of dealing with extreme pain. I, I welcomed the moments when I fainted. The body took care of itself. When I couldn't take it anymore after being tortured, um, like all of them, like all other detainees, I was tortured too. And uh, I was urinating blood. And I couldn't even lift up my legs. Um, at the end of interrogation because you get so swollen from lack of sleep and um, non-sleeping for seven days and seven nights that um, I don't think there was anything that would be more, more cruel. So whatever happened thereafter, you sort of get numbed with pain. I think South Africa, like other revolutionary movements has a tendency of uh, consuming its heroes. Um, I haven't seen the accolades we have been seeing today about a simple, simple little girl who left the country for whatever reasons at the time who is now welcome, this Charlize. I, I would have loved to see that happening for a Helen uh, Joseph, a Lillian Goy, 
Florence Madomela. Some of uh, some of them are, are actually unknown by this generation. The Miriams or Dindas, the Florence Mposhos, women who gave up their lives for the struggle. I think today I am actually loved that much by the so-called media and, and those sorts of people who have hang-ups about apartheid. I would throw in the towel. I quite enjoy the fact that uh, I, I will always put their consciences. I will always remind them of the painful past they want us to forget. Last month, Winnie Mandela was in Soweto working on voter registration. While she continued to be a champion of the much-beleaguered African National Congress, she had no illusions that while a battle had been won, the political liberation of South Africa from apartheid, the war for economic emancipation still remained to be waged. We come from a very brutal period of our history, a, a history of a country that was segregated constitutionally. And it was in black and white. Society was divided into four categories. And of course, I wouldn't bore you with what you know. And to transit from that era to, to where we are today has been a very painful journey. We made tremendous uh, strides. We made great achievements. But at the same time, uh, the difficulties we were confronted with, particularly in relation to the youth. Um, <clears throat> as I've said before to Sophie, that uh, unemployed youth in any country is a ticking time bomb. And I think uh, the fact that uh, we, we have the parliament we have today is a consequence of, of the problems I am talking about. It was easy to hoist the flag of freedom and say we were free at last. But then uh, the economy still remained in the hands of the few. And the most difficult part has actually been transition, transformation. Um, we didn't realize how difficult it would be to get back our land because it was owned by the people who had oppressed us all those years. And uh, we had had such a violent history that we wanted to put an end uh, to the armed struggle, difficult as it was. And we were not going to do land grab. We were going to um, see to it that we passed legislation that saw to it that uh, we got our land back uh, transitionally and amicably. But uh, as you would know, the willing seller, willing buyer uh, policy has not worked. I would like to end my tribute, yes, my tribute to Winnie Mandela with this. There are a couple of truly shameful Canadian footnotes on the Winnie Mandela story. During the anti-apartheid movement, local activists here in Montreal managed to convince the municipal government to name a park after Nelson and Winnie Mandela. It was a symbolic and meaningful victory. But a few years later, quietly, the sign was taken down to be replaced by a new one reading, 
Nelson Mandela Park. In 2011, Winnie the Opera opened in South Africa and went on to tour the world to critical and popular acclaim. But the opera's roots were here in Canada where producers first wrote it as a digital opera. When they invited Winnie Mandela to see the opera in Toronto in 2007, she was delighted to accept, but the Canadian government refused to give her a visa. Here to end is a song from that opera in which the character playing Winnie Mandela sings, with boxes of matches, we will liberate this land. May you rest in peace, Winnie. Sanele, 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 Sanele,